0: It's Vincent Jones, aka Citizen Jones, here with another episode of Quarantine and Chill, a daily podcast where we talk to LGBTQ people from around the world learning more about their story and how they are experiencing the coronavirus pandemic, or what I frequently call the zombie apocalypse. So grab a drink with or without alcohol and tag a few friends on the socials to join you for this kiki. And let's. Quarantine and chill, you know you can't go nowhere, hell no. Hello there, Dr. Isaac Namdar.
1: How are you doing over there in New York? Hey, good, Mr. Jones. How are you doing? <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, it's a, it gets better and better every day, I must say. I must say.
2: Yes, we're getting used so, to it now.
1: <laughs> yes, a month in, I mean, I would never have thought that it would last this long, but I have um um it, yeah, it's yeah, it's been a while.
2: <laughs> Testing all of our patients.
1: Yeah. So before we get more into what your experience on the front lines in New York City, I wanna learn more about where you're from. I know you live in New York, but you were yes. actually born in Iran, correct?
2: Yes. So many, many moons ago. We're not going to disclose my age. (laughs) 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 Like in the days where things were different. Mm -hmm. I was born in Iran and uh, this is before the revolution. So things were way different back then. Back then it was a very pro-Western country on a trajectory to integrate itself into the bigger world and try to leave its old ways and, you know, the old culture um, but that all came to a screeching halt in 1980 with a revolution, sorry, 1979, actually with a revolution happening, um, and things regressed, uh, from that point on, um, and things were not so bad from day one, you know, from day one, there was a little bit more of a feeling of the people we did it together. We're going to make it happen. And there was a, you know, some people were scared, but some people were optimistic and mm-hmm. slowly, but surely more of the dictatorship style. Things took over Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's when things got scary and my parents left. Actually, um, I'm sure a lot of people were watching um, Handmaid's Tales, uh, the the series about what happened in a theoretical way about what could happen in the United States if something
0: happened.
2: So many of the scenarios that they detailed about repression of rights, repression of, of expression, um taking back liberties taking back you know uh, things we take for granted all of that i had seen firsthand back in iran really all these different scenes wow would be sitting right next to my husband's like yeah i saw that that happened to me that happened to somebody i know you know all these different things about capital punishment about about changing your status about your status being dictated by Not necessarily your achievements, but your your escalation within the party system. So, you know, that's all completely alive and legit. So anyway, in 1980, we left. And first, we went to Israel because uh, my whole dad's side of family had lived there already quite a few decades. And then four years later, we came to the United States. Um, So I came here for my uh, junior year of high school. Mm -hmm. And then I've been here ever since then. I did my high school, my college, medical school, and so on and so on. And so so
1: in in Iran, they have been hit pretty hard with coronavirus. Do you have family there who you're in touch with? Do you have an idea of what's happening on the ground?
2: No, all my family has left. And I have a huge family. I have between (laughs) the two sides of the family, I have 45 first cousins. Oh, my gosh. You and that's just the first cousins. We're not talking about Uh, their spouses. We're not talking about the children and the grandchildren and great grandchildren. Just my my first cousins are forty five. But uh, you know, up uh everybody has left. All my cousins are left and and there's nobody left behind. Um so I don't really have any first hand impressions. I do have a couple of friends who every once in a while they go back to visit. Uh these are some of the friends from my uh grade school who Mm -hmm. also have left. Uh, I don't think there's anybody left behind from my grade school that I still keep in touch with. I'm sure there are, but I just don't keep in touch with them. Uh, mm-hmm. But they go every once in a while and they post pictures and you know share experiences and what have you. Uh, but nobody has gone back since the coronavirus outbreak. Hmm. And um, what is briefly, um, were you out in Iran? No,
1: I was, uh, I was 12 when I left. Okay. Was it, but if you were a little older... Um, like a teenager right. or in your early 20s, would have been possible to have been out before the revolution and after the revolution?
2: Um, so before the revolution, there were no positive role gay people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the media, there was always your comic character gay, that everybody right. knew he was gay, but nobody talked about it. Right. Uh, um, and he was very effeminate, effeminate and it was beyond... Beyond help, gay. It wasn't any positive role models um, as far as my family or extended family. I mean, I guess I was twelve, and there's only so much I knew back then. I didn't have anybody I would have identified as being gay. Uh, so, not back in those days, it wasn't. It wasn't an option that I knew of. No, gotcha. And we have, we have, and we, we know what it's like now. And
1: now it's, right. it seems to have gone even, right, much farther to the negative,
2: right. Right, right. It's actually a bit scary because uh, you know homosexuality over there is now illegal. Mm-hmm. But what is actually legal and state sanctioned is um, uh, transitioning. It is legal to be to be transgender, transgender, and actually the government pays for your for your reassignment surgery. And unfortunately, to to escape persecution, a lot of gay people are kind of sort of. Forced into transitioning, even though they don't identify as trans, but that is the only way that they can kind of sort of behave outside of the norm of what they've been dictated by the society and have a little bit more leeway. And they kind of sort of have to transition into a different gender, and then in that context, maybe they can have relations with the gender they would like, which wow. is very yeah. scary. Very scary. That's a that was well, that, well, that's a that's a topic for a whole podcast in itself, and so. Yeah. So thank
1: you for definitely giving that um, that character. I feel like people don't often have a full sense of what gay life is like around the world.
2: Right. We have
1: right. a, a perspective based off what we read, but it's always good to hear about people who either live there or are familiar with that specific right. situation in that country. Right, right, right. But switching gears a bit, let's do some hot topics, okay?
2: Oh, that's hot. Yes, sir.
1: So... Um, now you're in New York and there is a quarantine or a stay at home order happening there. Um, I don't know if this is happening in New York, but in some places they are, the government is fi- are finding businesses that are not essential that are staying open. Like mm-hmm. in, in, Los, in, in LA, for example, uh, if you, if so they actually encouraging average people to report businesses who are not essential, who are staying open and they're fine like a thousand dollars or so, And they will turn off their water and electricity. Oh, wow. What do you think about that?
2: You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't take this quarantine seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. The unfortunate part of it is that a lot of people who are exposed to it may actually get the virus. And the great majority of the people are asymptomatic. They walk Mm -hmm. around. They just transmit it to the next person, then transmits it to the next person, and to the next person. So of all the people who are actually exposed to the virus, a minority of them are actually going to get sick, and a small minority of that is going to get really sick to the point of ending up at a hospital and and dying. So all these numbers of the people that we know confirm cases, and the Mm -hmm. confirmed cases of death or confirmed hospitalizations, that is a small, 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 small fraction of what is actually out there. And there's so many people who take it nonchalantly, they just go out, they infect people, they, you know, unfortunately you hear people like having Corona parties. Yeah. And and it's (laughs) mostly younger, healthier people who, who, yes, if you get exposed to the virus, you're not going to get sick, but guess what? You're going to walk around, you're going to walk down the street and you're going to give it to your neighbor and you're going to give it to your parents. We're going to give it to your grandparents. Um, So I think some degree of taking it seriously is essential. I'm not quite sure about fines and cutting off your electricity and your water, but Mm -hmm. I do think the public should take it more seriously.
1: What about, do you think that Trump um, should have his name on the stimulus checks that are going out to people who don't get the direct deposit?
2: You know it's all by him <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's his world we all we all happen to live in it,
2: yeah, you know, somebody said, if I really want to get a a check from Trump, I'd rather be a prostitute yeah
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so,
2: yeah it, it, it's all about him, it's all about his ego and and not necessarily for what's with the country i mean that's only a smart part today he was inciting people to go out and riot against the lockdown and go yeah. demand the right to go back into going to work and assembly and you know i, it, I don't understand how, that, I, don't understand how
1: that, I don't understand how that's legal for uh a, a president to basically um, um issue a call to arms against three states in the country that he is supposed to be protecting and serving. Right.
2: It, it's That's it's a- really illegal. And unfortunately, the one party has got himself into a bind of, we let go so much, and now mm-hmm. it has completely slipped into chaos and, and anarchy. Mm-hmm. And unless the Senate comes to its senses, we're not going to stop this. We had a chance to right. do some of the impeachment, but again, there were so deep in it themselves that they could not make it happen.
1: Unfortunately, but but one thing that it is happening is that the medical community is working miracles um, all around the country, but, def- but definitely in New York. So thank you for all you're doing in the front line. I'd love to just say more about, um, you know, what has happened, well, so number one, so you're a doctor, say a little bit about yes. your practice before this happened and how it's been impacted by the pandemic.
2: Right, so uh, I'm a ear, nose and throat specialist. I've been in practice for 20 years and I've been in the same exact office for 20 years, which is actually the same hospital I finished my residency at. I Ah. haven't moved. (laughs) (laughs) If it ain't broke, why fix it? Mm -hmm. Exactly, it's an office uh, nearby Columbus Circle in New York City. Uh, My uh, hospital is Mount Sinai West previously used to be called St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, but since the merger with Mount Sinai, which is now one of the biggest systems in the city, uh, the name has changed to Mount Sinai West. And it's a part of a bigger global um, mega company of managing healthcare for New York City. Um, Prior to this, my office practice was usually four days of seeing patients in the office and taking care of all kinds of stuff that comes in, and one day of operating per week. Um, on the average day, I would say about maybe thirty patients in the office and on the average, maybe four surgeries per day for the surgery days and That was my routine um, Then once the uh pandemic happened, we had to uh, make some adjustments to that um, and I guess you know hindsight is always great, <laughs> yeah. but initially, we thought maybe we can see some select patients still. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know just because you yeah, have pandemic and things are on lockdown doesn't mean people are not sick so right. we're going to see some people with legitimate reasons to be coming to get seen but uh, then we learned from the experience both in china and Italy that actually ear nose and throat doctors have been disproportionately higher risk of contracting the disease really i didn't know that everybody's we're in everybody's nose and mouth all the time Ah, yeah, that's what the virus is and we always do instruments and endoscopes and mm-hmm. you know People are sneezing and coughing in our faces non-stop and that was transmitting the disease um, So even back in the early days There were some surgeries that were being done in people's sinuses and the nose and everybody in the operating room unbeknownst got infected and um, including the nurses including the anesthesia staff uh, oh. so we really had to stop it cold turkey uh one cold day and we say we can't we can't expose the staff we can't expose the doctors to this and it's one thing you know that you that if i'm wearing the mask but the patient is still exhaling and coughing mm-hmm. the endoscopes are coming and going and the whole environment is 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 exposed so unless you have specific need for it in a negative pressure room you can't really see patients in the same capacity so we had to shut down um since then we had transitioned to um Telemedicine, trying to conduct as much as we can over the phone or over video, and mm-hmm. both uh, within our medical record system as well as uh, through a third party apps, we can do that for patients. Now, there's a limit of how much you can do because you can't really touch or feel right. or anything. And then also, even if something that needs to be done manually, for example, somebody has earwax that needs to be removed, I can't do it over the phone. Somebody right. has nosebleed, I can't stop it over the phone. Um, so there's a myriad of things we cannot do over the phone, but the usual patients with sinus infection or ear problems and things of like that, so we can try to do as much as possible. So I'm doing that. Now, in addition to that, um, since we, we have had what's called a surge, uh, which we have a huge influx of patients coming in, um, for the past um, month or so, uh, we have doubled the number of beds in the hospitals, of how much patients we can actually accommodate in the hospitals now mm-hmm. with that you need a double number of nurses and doctors as well <laughs> right right so, yeah, we, we're in a phase of it that is called all hands on deck so even people like myself who don't normally treat pneumonia we don't treat inpatients with medical issues we only do our specialty we've been recruited to take care of sick patients so now my entire department has been recruited and we have uh, one of the floors that has been assigned to our department. Um, and we have a rotation system of every four nights and four days, and then the next cycle, the next cycle, the next mm-hmm. cycle. Um, okay. have some- so, so, so basically you had to essentially change your practice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you
1: stopped, basically stopped your practice and, and then... No, I'm not tree- stopping.
2: I had my night shift from like 8, 8, 8 p.m. till 8 a.m., uh-huh. I would go home, take a hot, 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 hot shower, and then do telemedicine from 9 a.m. till noon. Oh,
1: oh my God So you do right. So you are doing right. You're doing both, double duty. Doing both.
0: Yeah,
2: I'm doing. I'm doing my night shift, and then during the day, I'm doing my telemedicine.
1: And and all of your staff, um, they're also helping you on the floor as well.
2: Correct. So my staff has also been reassigned, so all my assistants and the secretaries and the billers, who hospital people, everybody's in the hospital now. So they also have to do all kinds of things, all different shifts, you know, some people have been assigned to do clerical work on a floor full of COVID patients. Some people have been assigned to help out with distributing uh, PPEs all through the hospital. Some people Mm -hmm. have been um, helping in the emergency room with just wheeling patients from one department to the next to x-rays and things of that sort. And Mm -hmm. this is all kinds of shifts. It's not nine to five anymore they have to work the night shift and then they have to go home and feed the kids and do the homeschooling with the kids. Right. You know, I'm
1: do it again next day. It's
2: all, ha- all hands on deck. You know, all my office staff has been redeployed to the hospital to do various things. And then we're in the hospital. We, I don't know who's at where, what, what shift they have. Everybody has been assigned some other shift. The elevator right. door opens. Oh, there you are. Exactly.
1: And so, and so what, so we hear, so, Trump says one thing, Cuomo says one thing, we'll occasionally see a doctor or a nurse or something else, but what's the reality in New York City? Are the hospitals overburdened? Is, yes. is, is there, sufficient, um, are there sufficient PPE? Like, What's the situation with the ventilators? What can give a feel for that in New York City?
2: Right. So our, our hospital system has been able to double the number of beds it has since mm-hmm. routine business. Uh, with that, we have had uh, to establish new units for regular patient care, new units for isolation, and then mm-hmm. also new units with vents. And we have received the extra vents to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I think we're near capacity for the new capacity. Um, oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, so
1: you're Kind of ca- make sure that so you're near capacity for the doubled capacity.
2: Right. Wow. Right. A lot. Yeah. So we got, and that's, for,
1: and that's just for your system. So it's multiplied yeah. across other hospital systems. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Every hospital, I'm sure they have done the same. You know, there, um, there's like stories that come out from my hospital is that we got the extra vents, but they were not assembled. So they uh, took the, all the equipment into this big room. And then all the medical students who are out of school right now, they came and assembled events. Oh my God. <laughs> so then they could be shipped to the individual different areas that are now over the capacity. We had um, our hospital initially was short on PPEs mm-hmm. and you know you couldn't get it from the governor or from the, from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sourced it individually from someplace in China they were able to get like I think like a million masks or so, mm-hmm. but they couldn't bring it here. Um, so somebody who's on the board of the hospital, had some contacts through Goldman Sachs who had contacts through Warren Buffett, who owns, <laughs> a, who owns a private jet company. So oh they were able to dispatch the private jet to go there and take it. However, once the jet got there, we didn't have the right um, permissions for them to import those, those masks. You still have to go through the red tape. So then a different person on the board of directors of the hospital had to get in touch with the Chinese ambassador in New York to facilitate the paperwork for the jet to be able to leave China to come back here to deliver the PPEs. So there's like all these different stories of how people had to do different things to make it all happen.
1: That is insane. I mean, I think the thing about this that upsets me is that we. This is the United States of America. I'm a very proud American. I know we have problems, but we have we have people. We've been able to send people to the moon, right. but we can't get a basic mask or a PPE no. to a to a no. medical professional. That to me just seems criminal. Right. And it's right. and it's so just, just organized. I, I've heard similar stories about how the federal government has been seizing um, the shipments to states because you know Trump said to the governors to find to figure themselves, and then when they do that. They would. the federal government would see some of the equipment.
2: Right, it, it, it's so individualized because like whatever those masks we were able to get, I'm sure other hospitals were looking for it too. So each hospital is trying to find their own masks as right. opposed to having some kind of a centralized plan to say, okay, you get this many masks and you get this many masks and the government as a whole is buying these and bringing these on military ships. Why right. should we go through Goldman Sachs to get to Warren Buffett to, to get his private jets to do so? We right. have military jets. We should be doing that. right?
1: Aircraft carriers and everything else—that's a route. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: That—that's that, why we have the military to help out with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so—it's it, it, like you said, we have enough bombs to bomb the entire Earth over ten right. times over. Right. We have So right. many bombs, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we don't have enough masks. Exactly. We don't have ventilators. No. It's
1: criminal. It's criminal. Yeah. So. What um what is it like? Uh, are you able to share any specific stories that you have um, um that you have witnessed in the hospital that have really put a um that could help to put a human face on on the coronavirus right now? I think people are seeing the numbers broadly, but right. we're not really seeing most people aren't really seeing a human face on the suffering. Can you can you help do that?
2: Yeah, I mean it really starts when I. They- had to go to the COVID unit to take care of the patients. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a couple of nights ago, this one patient was sickly. Um, He was on his departure uh, Mm -hmm. path. Um, And unfortunately, you're not allowed any visitors. Uh, Mm -hmm. People cannot come and be with their loved ones when they're gonna go. Um, So what they have done is they got this, every unit now has a mobile iPad thing. So if and when you know that it's pending, um, what we do, we dial in the the family over private Zoom line and we hold up the iPad to the patient so that they can say their goodbyes and Mm -hmm. take care of all that kind of stuff. Um, And I had to do that recently on my last shift with one of the patients and the patient had been completely not responsive you know, we had to boost up his oxygen and give him stuff for his blood pressure and what have you. And it was just not responsive. He had, he had mentally had checked out. As soon as I put the iPad on his face with his family, he, he heard their voices and mm. he completely woke up. He was completely lucid. He was, oh he was having conversation with the family members mm-hmm. and okay. <laughs> you know, it's a brand new person. <laughs> and then... You know, as the night went on, he had again touch and go, and touch and go, and touch and go. He's still around, and that was four days ago. But ten minutes after I finished my shift and left, a different patient who had no symptoms whatsoever, gone.
1: No symptoms.
2: Yeah, you know, and he had no chance of doing the goodbyes or whatever. Wow. It just like the next time the nurses went in, he was dead. He had left us. That's so, yeah. it's so variable.
1: Wow, that's tough. I mean, I can. I mean, I know you're as a doctor, you're used to. Well, you are probably more used to
2: people passing away than the average person. Um, Not in the past few years. <laughs> Not yeah. as an ENT specialist. True, I that's true. I haven't yeah. had to deal with
1: that. <laughs> so, 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 how are doctors? I mean, are they are they providing any? thing for doctors to be able for, for the healthcare staff to be able to have their mental health needs taken care of in this yes, time period? Yes,
2: we have multiple, multiple um, resources available for our mental health as well. And
1: kind of shifting gears a little bit from the hospital stuff, so you're also married. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, so what, um, have you, uh, so I, so I know, so so I know you, you guys have a, a lovely home in New York. And so you have Me a little too. bit of space than an average person does. Um, but like, have you found that, um, are you calling Andrew? No, 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 no. All right. uh, have, you, have you found that um, um, that do you have any, so a lot of people are finding that now they're um, being quarantined with their partners. Yes. Um, do, you ha- do you have any tips? I haven't tips? killed them yet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, just, so do you have any tips for them to be able to help them to survive quarantine with their partners?
2: um maintain your routine mm-hmm. um definitely when you get up in the morning make your bed <laughs> <laughs> don't go back to your bed unless you're doing something in the bed <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but don't spend all, all day in bed mm-hmm. um uh luckily we both have things to be done during the daytime mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're not just sitting home looking at each other. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, he has his business calls to take care of, and I have my business calls to take care of. And then mm-hmm. usually for meals, we come back together. And usually in the evening, we spend time just talking or watching TV or what have you.
1: But do you, but do you find that, because now your job has a added level of stress that it yeah. didn't have before, do you find that has um, made it harder for you to, be as cool, calm, and collected as you might normally be uh, when you're in the in those couple moments.
2: Not necessarily. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm always one of those calm people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I know some people stress gets them more, mm-hmm. but uh, individually on myself, I'm um, you know. Although I appreciate stressful things, um, I'm pretty well adjusted. Uh, yeah. I, I don't let things get to me. Uh,
1: that, that's that's a very I good I hold them skill. over, but
2: I don't. I don't make a lifestyle out of it.
1: That, that that's a good thing. We know a lot of there can be some of us in the community who like a little bit of
2: drama. Because I like drama. That's my shit. To be Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, are yes, there, yes.
1: Are there? And so my understanding is there are, there are a lot of um, queer nurses and yes, and, and, and healthcare workers in the in New York City. Um, how has do you have any sense of? <gasps> How how they've been um, impacted by coronavirus? Like, is it because you said there's a large number of ear, nose, and throat doctors and staff right. who were affected in um, Italy and Europe? Are you seeing that there that it's the virus is affecting um, queer healthcare workers any differently than than non queer folks, or or no?
2: Mm, I'm not personally seeing a big difference. Um, mm-hmm. I think towards the beginning there was a concern that because we have a higher percentage of HIV people in our community. Right. It may be part of the immune compromise or immune sensitive population who would have more problems with the virus. Fortunately, we haven't seen any special risk factor associated with HIV. That's uh, good. Fortunately. Other factors like you know emphysema or asthma or diabetes or obesity or old age are much, much, much more important in who does and who doesn't get sick from the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily, from that perspective, we've been doing okay. Uh, in my hospital, actually, one of the nursing supervisors, I think he was in his 40s, um, and he was one of the first nurses to pass away from this. Uh mm-hmm. nurse, mm-hmm. very outspoken, uh, but he had lung disease, he had asthma. Uh, and and it, it's, it's still disheartening because prior to this... Um, I guess this is the year of the nurse. Mm-hmm. So, and since he was one of the leadership nurses, um, they had made many, many posters of nurses to be all over the place, and his poster is still up. Oh, he just walked by and like, eh, that's the guy. Oh, no, that's <laughs> yeah. Hard. I haven't had a chance to go take these down yet. Kind of hard. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. And we have a segment
1: on quarantine and chill called What Would You Do? Yes. Where I give you a a scenario and we ask you, what would you do? Yes. And today's scenario is, um, it is a little hospital themed. Um, So in China and Italy, there have been reports of care rationing as a supply of key resources, such as ventilators have been outstripped by the number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients. So in this scenario, you manage a hospital that is having a similar problem with too many patients and not enough ventilators and other equipment. What would you do?
2: You know, that's a really tricky question. Um, As I alluded before, we're not over capacity yet. So we Mm -hmm. haven't had to make those uh, difficult choices for us. Um, But... You know, from experience, if those decisions had to be made, uh, you do have to prioritize where medical care is going to have a better yield in the long term. Um, mm-hmm. So unfortunately, some of the more sicker people may not get the treatment and let them pass and mm-hmm. give the treatment to some of the more healthier people who might make it through. Um, in other countries, unfortunately, they had to institute specific guidelines about who will and who will not get the, tra- the treatment. And one of them is just simply just age. Based on mm-hmm. certain age, it's, it's going to be the case. Um, specifically for us, an issue that has come up is two issues. And it, it, maybe it's not exactly the question you, you're answering, but it mm-hmm. causes um, ethical dilemma questions. Uh, mm-hmm. One has to do with uh, patients who eventually do pass, um, but we don't have advanced directive for them not to be resuscitated or not to be intubated. So mm-hmm. technically, anybody who passes in the hospital, unless you have directives ahead of time, anybody who passes, um, we have to resuscitate. Part of the resuscitation is chest compressions. Mm-hmm. When you do chest compressions, guess what? All the plume in the lungs, everywhere, you're just spreading it. You're oh my just God. like <laughs> infecting everybody within feet and feet and feet. So should we do CPR on these people? Should we do chest compressions? Should we not do chest compressions on these people? Should mm-hmm. we, what, what is the policy? And we don't have a policy yet. Um, so we do try to make it as much of an issue as soon as possible as we walk in, we get those in, you know, directives. Do you want to be DNR? Do you want to be mm-hmm. e DNI, which means do not intubate? So we try mm-hmm. to do that. And then the flip side is, as soon as we suspect somebody might need to be intubated, we try to intubate the sooner the better, as opposed to waiting for them to really crash and then you have to do the chest compressions, we try Mm -hmm. to get them sooner than not. So that's one thing to consider. Another thing to consider is for the people who have been on the breathing tube for a while, and that's something that especially goes with my specialty, it's a common practice that if somebody has been on a breathing tube and we can't get them off, rather than having a breathing tube go through the mouth, into the throat, through the vocal cords, into the lungs, we do what's called tracheostomy. Uh, we go externally through the neck, make an incision, gain access into the trachea and give them the oxygen there directly. And therefore we can remove the tube from the mouth and there the patient can talk and the patient can eat. Uh, they can even you know vocalize whatever um they're still getting the oxygen they need now what happens usually during those cases that transition time where you're removing the breathing tube from above and putting the one through the neck again there's like a there's a volcano <laughs> of oh. lung patients that are usually being released into the environment so there's all kinds of considerations about who should and should not get the tracheostomy tube normally we say after the first week of somebody needing a breathing tube if they're not breathing on our own anymore we should do the tracheostomy but we have had to come up with guidelines that in these patients we should wait for at least three weeks uh, before we do that tracheostomy and who who makes those and are those rules just for your hospital system are they for the
1: state are they for the country
2: so um this particular one i just mentioned to you it was instituted by what's called the new york head and neck society it's the uh, it's a peer organization of other doctors who are ENT specialists and deal mostly with cancer cases, gotcha. um, and they do the most amount of neck surgeries. So mm-hmm. they came up and it's, uh, and it was, and the membership is from basically any hospital. You don't have to be part of a hospital to be a member of this. So the doctors were on the forefront of this. They're members of every single academic institution in New York. Um, mm-hmm. so when they came out with a consensus, we can present it to our colleagues and the other departments to say this is the citywide consensus
1: gotcha okay so that's good and, and it's the same for the um the chest compressions or is that Chess or is that something that's, that's hospital more
2: about pulmonary doctors to decide okay. that oh um, but good so uh, basically yeah, so there are different
1: groupings yet. of doctors who have expertise in a certain areas of the body who are right. making recommendations based off of what what are the best science right now right 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 but so that's good you to know because when I saw the stories about the rationing, I understand it intellectually. But then what I wasn't understanding was who makes, who decides the system to use. Was it just the, uh, was it the doctor who was there at that point in time, or was it the, the hospital system? So it gave me some comfort to know that
2: this is something. So we here. don't have guidelines from above, and mm-hmm. thank God we haven't really had to get to the rationing phase of the or the PPEs. Mm-hmm. haven't had to leave anybody untreated um, mm-hmm. the way they had to do it in, in Italy or in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't confirm it, but there's stories out of those countries where they literally said, OK, you know what? We don't have any more vents. And, and grandma over here, she's 85. She's not going to make it. Take her off. Give the vents to the 45 year old. Mm-hmm. And goodbye, grandma. Mm mm-hmm. Uh, you hear these stories and, you know, these are first world developed countries. Right, right. Who are doing this to patients. But, you know, what can you do? Citizens, what would you
0: do in a scenario? You can go to our Quarantine and Chill Facebook page. Let us know right now. You can also post it to your Instagram story or on Twitter. Just make sure to add us or to use the hashtag Quarantine Chill. We'll share it. I know I asked you how um, any of you have any tips for couples who are now quarantined together
1: but um, I'm curious if you have any tips for staying sane or staying well staying healthy this time
2: yes. period mm-hmm. yes uh, definitely try to keep yourself engaged uh, okay. try to read books try to do as much um, exercise as you can um, not everybody has a gym in their house mm-hmm. <laughs> but Um, if you just Google it, there's all kinds of people who are doing all kinds of home exercise routines, Mm -hmm. stretch, run, uh, lift, uh, do whatever you have to do. Um, try to eat healthy. I know you're home all day and the fridge is one way and the the cupboard is the other way. (laughs) Yes. Those are the (laughs) figures.
1: (laughs) It's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, at least one of the rate limiting steps is you only eat what you have at home. So if you really limit yourself not to bring unhealthy things to home, mm-hmm. then you want to eat healthy things. So if you want a snack and really the only thing in the fridge is an apple, you're going to have an apple as opposed mm-hmm. to a piece of cake. <laughs> what
1: I try to do to that point, I, on my, on my like, dining room table, I have, what, four bowls of different kinds of fruit. Like I have tangerines, some pears, some grapefruit, and bananas. That's why really, so I see those. And right. I thought, oh, I'll grab a piece of fruit. Before, yes, exactly. I would go to the fridge. I was like, oh, I'll get this. I'll go to the cupboard. Oh, I'll get this. I was like,
0: oh no, this cannot last. This cannot <laughs> not last because so my summer body will never come. Hi, citizens. For today's wellness tips, go to the Quarantine Until Facebook page. You can even leave some of your own. <laughs> well, I'm worried about the summer. It's canceled.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I know. But I, 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 have, I, I have to have hope. I have to have hope I can still wear a Speedo somewhere and be able to flirt with somebody somewhere.
2: Yeah, on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Baby, come give me something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Have you you, um, been tempted to make one of those TikTok videos?
2: I just joined TikTok a week ago. Uh Uh-huh. I'm still getting the hang of it. I haven't, uh, you know, I actually posted one. The only one I posted was about uh, the seven o'clock cheer in New York City. Uh ah, okay. Everybody is is cheering and clapping. Mm-hmm. Um I did that one.
1: So I'm actually curious. So I know I've I've seen those where I live in LA, we haven't done it in this part, but they're doing it in downtown LA, of course in New York and Toronto, like all over the world are doing it. And how does that make you feel as a healthcare worker when you hear those?
2: Um, you know, it's just it's not just for the healthcare. It's all for all yes. frontline people. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, for the groceries and the garbage collectors mm-hmm. and the janitors and you know, all the different people who still have to go to work every single day, including you know I, in, in the city, we live in a building that's 45 floors high and there's like 20 people on staff you know the, 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 the cleaning crew and the doorman mm-hmm. and the package crew and all that kind of stuff. And they come in, every single one of them comes in every single day. They're considered to be frontline. So it, it makes me feel good. Um, it makes me feel appreciated. Uh I, We actually got a, a, a Different version of it yesterday. I don't know if you knew about that one, but wow. uh, This group organized a sing-along so that after seven o'clock at 702 And it was being broadcast on two different radio stations. They uh, they broadcast new york new york by frank sinatra oh and my they encouraged <laughs> citywide sing-along so mm-hmm. go do your clapping for two minutes and cheering. And at 7.02, everybody started singing New York, New York. Oh, um so depends, I guess where you were and how many people knew about it, you were able to do it. I actually learned about it not through social media, but the, the building sent an email to everyone, alerting mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on tonight at 7.02. Everybody go to the balcony. Everybody starts singing.
1: And I feel like those things, what I hope comes out of that is that we start to – Change the idea of community, right? Um, I know I've definitely started talking to my neighbors a lot more than I yes. have. Um, you know, because every now and then I'll just sit in the front porch of my building and try to get some sun. And then, i got met my uh, my new neighbor and her boyfriend and their dog, But <laughs> so they've been here for about a few months. I've never met them yet, and um, but I feel like just like the I've seen the videos. A, a friend of mine, actually someone who I interviewed, he's a, a violinist. And he's done like a like violin concert or perform or not a concert, but he's played the violin um, on his balcony. And he's like a, he's like a world renowned violinist. Um, and I feel like those things before people would have said, what the hell are you doing? And call the police. But now, <laughs> but now people like, people are much more like, that's part of living in community that we're all in this together. And so I hope people hope, hope that continues. Where, um, where do you want to travel? Was the first place
2: you want to travel to once we can travel again? Well, we had planned to go to Greece together as a couple for the first time this coming summer. You ever
1: been to Greece before? How
2: are you? I've been to I'm,
1: Greece. I can't I think believe we've oh, to, to oh. Greece
2: many years ago. Oh, but so never we've together. Never been together. We've never okay. been at the height of the summer to go to Mykonos or Santorini. Okay. So that was our plan to go first time together. Got gotcha. so okay. we had booked. It's still booked. We haven't mm-hmm. officially canceled yet, but hopefully we can. Either do it or maybe do it this following summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I do like to go back to Israel to visit my family. I haven't seen in a while, so that would be very mm-hmm. nice. We try to do as many video calls with them as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the grand nieces and nephews are growing by leaps and bounds, so it's time to catch up with them.
1: And so, b- before asking my last question, where can you be found? You mentioned TikTok on TikTok or Instagram or wherever you want to be found. Right.
2: Where can you be found. So I do have social media, both for my own self mm-hmm. um, on Facebook. Uh, I have my own account as well as a medical account with my name. Two different mm-hmm. accounts, um, both searchable. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at uh, with my name again. Just search, you can find me. I also have on Twitter uh, an old account uh, that I started maybe about ten years ago about marriage equality, way before it was legal, and mm. it was one of the advocacy accounts. And you know, back in the days, it had like about five thousand followers. Uh, that I used to report on on action that was being taken on marriage equality, uh, and it's called Marriage Equality. Uh, not equality, but equality. That's that's equality. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, on TikTok, there's nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yet, yeah, but I feel there will be soon. <laughs>
2: right. And then in the medical world, I also have my own website, uh, which is my last name, Namdar, which is spelled N-A-M-D-A-R-M D.com. So namdarmd.com Or you can also spell it out, New York ENT Specialist.com. That's my website. So you can find me there too. And from there, there's actually links to all the different social media as well.
1: I'm like, you have a lot.
2: You're everywhere. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good about that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, good. I was gonna like nowadays you have to be pretty present because um, people um to people find you. People use so many ways to find people. You wanna make sure you are there to be able to be found.
2: Yeah, and as a doctor, people do a lot more Googling on you before they actually show up. Uh, much more than you would do a Google about your car mechanic. <laughs>
1: no, that's true. It's true. The, the or or your bakery, I... you know, you just right. go
2: get your bread, but if you're gonna go see a doctor, especially for the first time, you're gonna Google them and find out what they are. And you know, there's a lot of content out there, and I'd rather them find the content that I had created, which is much more accurate than like some third party content um that may or may not be as accurate. Um so that's always good.
1: And briefly and I not even
2: appreciate- People even go beyond the content I created. They find all kinds of stuff, and they come and tell me, you know, back in the day when Andrew and I got married, and that was before marriage equality, it actually caused quite a stir in my in my um, in my religious community uh, because they didn't really see eye to eye to a lot of that. So there was a whole brouhaha that happened, and that was about. Almost ten years ago, and to this day, people come and see me as patients for the first time. It's like, oh yeah, and I read all about your adventures, about that you got excommunicated from your synagogue, and you wrote a book about it. Oh my God, you're so brave! You know, they go through this whole soliloquy about the, all their research on me.
1: <laughs> and you're like, okay, say, I'm gonna say ah uh, now. He's like, ah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> you mentioned telehealth,
1: yes. and today I had um actually my first ever telehealth appointment because i was supposed to have a i was supposed to have a surgery yesterday but it got rescheduled of course and and my doctor who was checking about it it to figure out about rescheduling but to do the pre-op um appointment on the i was like oh my gosh, this is like why don't we why don't we always do this um and he's like well here's why we don't always do it okay like that that makes sense um, so well, toast interesting to your
2: heart over the phone. Yeah, they can't yeah. Yeah. It was such an interesting experience. Do you like it? Uh I like it that I can keep in touch with my patients and I can mm-hmm. attend to their ongoing needs. Um I think it would be a complement to the office practice um as opposed to a substitute, hopefully.
1: And and then and then you did mention and I and I and I I did have it in my notes to ask you about your book and your work. I know before I met you, I met fans of you um, <laughs> who who are uh, who are um, also like Persian Jews, who yes. gay Persian Jews, who were um, who felt who for, for whom you were uh, a big role model to them, to be able Thanks. to show them how they can be able to be um, um, open with who they are, but also be um, um, a part of their family. Because exactly. from what I know in the Persian community, um, it, family is very important. Of course. And so, I know, so they, so there's, so luckily, and luckily you were before the shards of sunset. So they have, a, <laughs> <laughs> so they have a less, so they have a less, um, a less entertaining. Uh, model. Yes. So, well, I mean, yeah. you're entertaining also, but they have, they have a multiple um, so ways of, of, of
2: um, multiple role models to look towards to be. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It, it, you know, it, as I said, it's something that happened about 10 years ago when they found out about me and that I had moved on with my life. and. Found love and had, got married, and um, it did cause a stir. Um, which that following weekend, I was not in so many words, but I was excommunicated from going back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it then actually I wasn't there anymore. But the the community got a little bit polarized on that issue because of a lot of people who said, "Well, this is ridiculous. You know, he, he's just one of our sons, and he just we love him the way he is, and he's a doctor, and he's he's found love, and he hasn't he hasn't committed any." crime of any sort that you're like excommunicating him and the other people know we have to be true to what our religious teachings are and what have you and and all this was going on behind the scenes behind my back mm-hmm. uh, and I was just getting tidbits of it from these people and these people and um, and I was able to actually write a book about it from all the experience and um, I'm writing it from my point of view what happened to me in the chronological sequence and all the comments and all the people who were leaving messages on this uh, message board and the emails and back and forth, so it's a little bit more of a technology-driven um, book of, about mm-hmm. what happened. Um, and throughout of it, actually, my own voice is is the moderator against the super crazies on the one side and super crazies on the opposite side. Um, you know, throughout that. I'm I'm the voice of reason. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The two camps are going at each other, uh, yelling and screaming. Uh, um, So I I think it made it interesting from that perspective that I'm not the one yelling and screaming. Right. It's our allies uh, of the community who are, have our backs and they're trying to do their best to to validate our, our existence.
0: Is
1: it available in Farsi as well as English or?
2: just English. It's on mm-hmm. Amazon, uh, again, with my name. And the name of the book is called In This Day and Age. Uh, in This Day and are, Age. Yep, yeah, right. I'll, I'll make
1: sure a link to it in the show notes. People can still buy it now, correct?
2: It's on Amazon, yep. Yep, yep.
1: I love that. And so So, um, my last question for you, what do you hope, uh, I have maps a little differently. Typically I ask, what do you hope to take away from this experience? Um, of the coronavirus pandemic. But I wanna know, um, what's like one or two things that um, has been one or two new things during this time period that you personally, or you that, that you either want for you personally or for the country or the world to keep doing after this is over. Right. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I would say two things. Uh, one is the same thing that happened after nine eleven is that there was this resurgence of kindness. Um, people who normally walk down the street in New York and everybody's out of my way, elbowing each yeah. other, <laughs> right? would be absorbed in themselves. On all, their all, of sudden, all of a sudden, everybody's so kind to each other. Everybody does take interest in learning about who their neighbors are and are you well taken care of? Do you have enough food? Do you have enough masks? Do you have enough support and what have you? So there's, there's a lot of resurgence of kindness that has come on and, and I'm hoping that people will continue that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's going to last.
1: <laughs> we have to work at it. Like a relationship, you have to work at kindness too.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, let, let's, let's ride it as long as it does last.
1: Yes, I'm, um, I'm good for that.
2: Yeah, I think the second thing that we really need to take a moment and pause and think about it is that um, we have entered this phase of culture that I'm right. Um, I know everything. I know better than Mm -hmm. whatever XYZ expert, whatever Mm -hmm. topic is coming up. I have an opinion on it. My opinion is right. I have Mm -hmm. done no research on this opinion. The opinion just goes on my life philosophy rather than actual research. And I'm always right. No matter what you tell me on anything that you tell me about, no matter how much proof you give me, I'm right. Mm -hmm. Um, I know better than the generals. I know better than the doctors. I know better than the engineers. I know better than economists. My opinion is always right. Mm -hmm. We're in that really bad phase of of culture. And I'm hoping that now that we have gone through this pandemic together, we actually have learned to listen to healthcare workers on this issue. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. hopefully we can extrapolate that to other avenues of life as well. Let the economists tell you what are the facts and you can have an opinion on that, but do your research before you have an opinion. Let the politicians tell you what they know. Let the, let the engineers know, tell you what they know, you know, let even the journalists tell you what they know based on the research they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't have an opinion before you have done the research.
1: Facts do matter. And it, yeah, I, 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 know, the two great ones. And it's it, okay. Also today in the news is all, all these folks in Michigan who are protesting um, based off of their own desire to go against the governor who was trying to protect their health. And, right. and, and if they, believes in facts and not the rhetoric of Fox News and the President, yeah. it would be a different situation. Yeah.
2: And and if the facts are contradictory to your belief system, then it's false. Right. <laughs>
1: right, right. No, no, no. It's like, it's like that's like what kids do. <laughs> and we're right. if you want to be an adult, you gotta be an adult.
0: <laughs>
1: well thank you, um, Dr. Isaac Namdar. Um, thank you. I Thanks for the time. It was
2: great. Yeah, I know. for me, actually. Oh, good. I like that.
1: No, and I, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, like, just literally, like, how the, um, like, the policy part, that that ethical dilemma, that yeah. did something I was, I've talked about with a few friends I've been thinking about a lot. So it's good to clarify you on that. Right. And just how and just how, it's, how it's impacting actual people, actual doctors, as I appreciate right.
0: that. So thank you for your time. And so sure. tomorrow, there's Vincent Jones with Quarantine and Chill. Gracias Toda Oh obrigado. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quarantine and Chill, a creation of Yours Truly, Vincent Jones and Citizen Jones Travel. Much love to the amazing Ben Salk who produces, edits, and makes all the music for the podcast. If you love this episode, please like and leave positive comments on the podcast platform of your choice. You have no idea unless that helps us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can learn more about today's guests and get any resources mentioned in the conversation, as well as connect with other citizens in the Quarantine and Chill community. Until tomorrow... This is Vincent Jones reminding you to wash your hands. Let's quarantine and chill. Queer and and chill. Quarantine and chill. Let's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill. You know you can't go nowhere. So let's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill.